Hello, my name is Mark and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast, where we look at how researchers can become more productive and use their work to achieve real-world impacts. podcast, I'm going to dive deep into some research that my colleagues and I have done over the last few years that came up with five ways we can all increase the impact of our research. But before we get into that, I'd like to give you my research impact tip of the week. So this week's tip of the week relates to disseminating your research and when you're moving into that phase where you've got some cool stuff and you just want to get it out there then my tip is to actually work with the people you're trying to communicate with and get their help to do the communicating. Now this might seem fairly obvious but I think most of us are a bit frightened about putting something out there that we're not sure about that we're not sure how people are going to react to. We want it to be polished and perfect before we put it out there. But actually by working with these people we can actually do far better communication. We can reach out more widely and we can get our messages to resonate more effectively. So I'm going to give you three examples of how I think this can work. Um, the first is actually more about uh, ways of, of, of practicing and rehearsing and, and getting things right uh, in a safe environment uh, before uh, actually putting it out there into the wild. So if you're doing public outreach or if you're doing stakeholder workshops, uh, think about whether there might be some local events that you can attend where you try out your cool new public engagement technique in a local school, perhaps a school that your kids go to. Maybe that's a bit too embarrassing, actually. A local school that your kids maybe don't go to, uh, or to a local fair or a fete or something like that, before actually taking it national um, uh, and embarrassing yourself when it all goes horribly wrong. Uh, I did a, a stakeholder workshop where um, I actually took it to my class of students, in fact, um, a couple of days before the, the workshop. And I was trying out something new that I hadn't quite done before, and we tried it out and it, it was a complete flop. It was a disaster. Um, there was a, a fundamental flaw in what we were trying to do. And amazingly, my class uh, actually stayed back uh, half an hour after the class to help me completely redesign my workshop so that it would work. And two days later, amazingly, it was great. Uh, Two other ideas, uh, policy briefs. If you're trying to write a policy brief, rather than trying to second-guess your audience and get it right, which is hard work, actually work with someone uh, from the, the policy community to get your language right so that you're connecting with the the buzzword, the jargon, the terms, the right actual policy frameworks in the right part of the country uh, so that this is a policy brief that really connects with people, that resonates with them, that is hitting all the right buttons, that is immediately on people's radars. Oh, yes, I'm doing that. I need to know about that. Fantastic. And the last idea is uh, around films. So a lot of us now are uh, putting together short films based on our research. And usually they tend to focus on us, the researchers, which is cool. 
but far better, I think, is to think, well, who is it that I've got in mind as my audience? And now can I get someone like that, who's my audience, and bring them into the film? Now, even if this is just uh, uh, you know, going with a microphone and a camera into the street and interviewing members of the public, or uh, someone who you think, you know, someone from a business, someone from policy, from an NGO, whatever it is, who might be the kind of person who might listen to your film, watch it, uh, and actually take on board that message. Take it to them, interview them as part of your film, and ask them uh, what they think is cool about your research, what they think they might use uh, from your work. And amazingly, when people watch that, then they don't just have to take your word for it, they've got someone who's like them, who is giving the message to them in words that make sense to them, and there's a much greater likelihood that they trust that message and therefore act on it as a result of watching that film. So now we're going to come to the main topic of today's podcast, which is five ways you can fast track the impact of your research. Now, over the years, I've become fascinated with the way in which we as researchers come up with ideas or new knowledge. And increasingly, I've been wondering how we can come up with ideas that are more relevant to the real world and that can have more of a real world beneficial impact. And as I've studied this, I've become convinced that if we can work more closely with the people who desperately need those new ideas uh, as part of the policymaking process, as part of the product design process, or just simply to find a way to live in a harsh environment, then we as researchers can ask more relevant questions. And in collaboration with the people who need the answers, we can then start to co-produce research that not only provides us with cutting-edge new knowledge that we can write about and theorize about and do our academic stuff with, but that actually deliver meaningful results in the real world that people can use and benefit from. I think that many of us start out with a premise that, you know, if I could just have a big enough idea, you know, that science paper, that nature paper, uh, then uh, inevitably it will grow legs and uh, go out into the world and achieve impact. Of course, the missing link is that we forget that people have to actually learn about our ideas, uh, accept them, uh, and then take that knowledge and put it into practice. Chances are that if we do that research hand-in-hand with the people who need to learn about it, they learn as they go along. And actually, they're helping us to ask better questions, and we're coming up with things that are far more relevant for them and that they can far more easily put uh, into practice. So fundamentally, uh, impact is a learning process. And I believe that if we want to have amazing impact in the world, then we need to be amazing at knowledge exchange. And so for me, at the heart of these five principles is this idea of empathy, putting yourself in someone else's shoes so that you can understand how they might think and feel and respond in a given circumstance. And in that way, then, we can generate knowledge that is relevant 
to their circumstances, to their needs, to their priorities. And uh, that co-production of knowledge, that knowledge exchange process becomes then second nature. It becomes dead easy. So five principles. And these principles uh, haven't just entirely come out of my head, uh, although I will admit there's a a fair helping of that. Uh, This is uh, about a decade's worth of research that my colleagues and I have done, uh, empirical work where we've gone out and uh, interviewed researchers, uh, the stakeholders that they've worked with, and truly tried to unpick uh, what is it that has worked, what is it that hasn't worked, and what might be generalizable from what works that others can learn from. Now, the first of these principles is design. It's about trying to plan for impact right from the outset. So we're great at researchers at coming up with research questions and uh, goals in terms of the new knowledge that we want to produce. But what if at the same time we took just as seriously the idea of coming up with impact goals and knowledge exchange goals. What is the change that we want to see as a result of our research? What what kind of policy change? What what kind of product or uh, other uh, beneficial impact might we be able to achieve at the end of this project? And if we have a clear idea of that at the outset, then we can make a detailed plan that can enable us to step-by-step get from where we are now doing the original research to where we want to be actually using that research to make a difference. Now, you need to build in flexibility to a plan like this. I don't want this to come across like this has to be set in stone, because if you are putting yourself in the shoes of other people, you'll discover that people's needs and preferences change all the time. And the kind of people that you need to involve in your research at different stages in the research cycle will also change. So we need to have uh, research that is able to respond to that changing landscape and that has mechanisms built into it that can enable us to produce an extra bit of work, an extra output, for example, that uh, just achieves what we need at that time for that particular purpose. I think that uh, we often... Uh, think that this is up to us as researchers and a lot of us feel out of our depth you know this is not the kind of stuff we're typically trained in a phd tells you how to generate new knowledge not how to put that knowledge into action now uh, as you listen to this podcast i hope that you're going to gain a bunch of skills that you can use yourselves uh, in your own research but don't forget that there are very many talented people in our teams in our universities in our research institutes who are already fantastic at communicating research, writing, making films, taking photographs, doing all that cool stuff. And if you can put money to this, and very often uh, we can actually cost this into our research from the outset, then you can employ professionals to come along and do this work with you. So it's no hassle for you, it's no pressure for you, and also you get a fantastic professional output at the end of your research. The second principle, then, is to represent. Now, we've designed impact into our work. We know what it is that we want to achieve. Now we have to think about who it is that we want to achieve those impacts with uh, as we're moving through the research cycle. Who has an interest in what we're doing? Uh, Who might be affected by this? Uh, These are what you might describe as stakeholders. Uh, We're often uh, taught to consider these people as beneficiaries. And I think that 
the idea of a beneficiary is a little bit too narrow. I think that we need to also think about who might be disadvantaged by our research, who might be really negatively impacted by this. Perhaps we've got a new technology that's coming out of our research which will rob someone or a whole group of people of their livelihoods. Those guys are going to be pretty interested in our research, probably, uh, and we tend not to think about that. But if we do think about those groups at the outset, then there may be some simple things that we can do to uh, avoid some of the worst impacts and work with them to, to mitigate them. Equally, there are some other people that you probably want to work out uh, who they are at the beginning who don't necessarily benefit from your research and they're not necessarily going to be disadvantaged either. These are people who might block your research or who might really be able to help you to achieve your research goals and your impact. Now, if there is someone out there, an individual, an organisation, a group of people who really hate what you're doing and are going to oppose you at every point in the research cycle, then it's kind of handy to know about them to start with. Um, now, if you're doing something contentious, uh, then perhaps you already know who those groups are and you've probably had a few run-ins already. But very often these people pop up just when you least expect it and block you from getting the data that you need or accessing the people or the sites that you need to actually conduct your research or perhaps actually prevent you from uh, commercialising your research or uh, achieving impact in some other way, perhaps for ideological reasons. If you know who these groups are to start with, then you can hopefully work with them to allay their fears and uh, bring them along with you. But also, you may actually spot some organisations who love what you do. Uh, you know, they've got the same objectives as you. They want to achieve the same stuff. And actually, by identifying them and working with them to co-design your research and carry it out with them, they can open doors. They may give you extra resources, staff time, access to data, etc. Uh, but they also may help you to actually achieve your impacts. They may have connections at high levels in the business world, in the policy world, uh, elsewhere. And by working with them, they can then act as an intermediary for you to enable you to achieve far more than you ever could have done if you hadn't identified them from the outset. Now, you might come across them later on in your research, but by then it may be too late for you to adapt what you're doing to really connect with their agenda and to make the most of that relationship. So finding these people at the beginning is, for me, crucial. Thinking then about how you can work with them is the next step. So uh, think about ways in which you might be able to embed these guys into your research. If you're a PhD student, you might think about even uh, inviting them onto your supervision team if your supervisors are up for that. Uh, if you're in a research project, you might think about bringing them onto a, a stakeholder advisory panel that meets maybe once a year or uh, every quarter, or uh, etc., and, and gives you some really good advice that keeps your feet on the ground. Uh, okay, guys, this isn't really working. This is a bit cheesy. It's a bit complicated. Yeah, give us some new ideas. Uh, I've certainly gotten a lot of really useful, grounded advice from groups like that. Uh, of course. Engaging with people from the outset in this way uh, often gives people access to research findings before they've gone through the full uh, peer review process. And that, depending on what you're doing, can present you as a researcher with some quite challenging ethical issues. And you really need to think quite carefully about this um, uh, if, if you do want to take the, this kind of approach. We can discuss this in, uh, in future podcasts. 
The third most important principle for me now is to uh, engage. Uh, This is about building long-term, two-way, trusting relationships with the people who might use our research so that we can then work hand-in-hand with them throughout the research process. So we've designed impact into our uh, research plan. Uh, We've started to really represent the right people, but now we need to think about how we engage as effectively as possible with these people so that we can uh, get the kind of trust that is required to really work uh, effectively. Uh, For a start, I think for me, this is uh, about adopting an attitude of humility. Um, uh, I think many of us are are taught that to succeed as researchers, we have to become the world expert in such and such. And for some of us, this can go to our heads. Um, uh, We've all experienced it. Uh, And what we need to try and do is just to say, you know what? Yeah, I might know a lot about X or Y. But, hey, it's just a narrow little thing, and I've got so much to learn, and I'm here in this relationship to learn as much from you as you might be able to learn from me. Uh, And this kind of two-way dialogue as equals is, for me, the the, the key thing if we want to actually uh, engage in an an empathetic relationship with the people that that might benefit from uh, or use our research. I think that um, the, the typical kind of three-year project or PhD research cycle can be a problem for this because uh, I think very often people feel that you know, well, stakeholders feel kind of dumped at the end of it. Well, hey, you know, I worked with you for the last three years. You got what you wanted, and now you've just disappeared. Um, and I don't think that's particularly respectful. I don't think that that often goes down well with people. And I think we need to be aware of this. And yet our focus might have moved on. We might have a new job, a new um, research project that we're working on. But uh, let's bear in mind the long-term relationships that we have with these people. And I think if we can maintain those relationships over the long term, just you know, little meetings here and there on social media, just you know, keeping those relationships live, then actually very often it does pay off for us in terms of our research. When we then come back to that topic, we want to propose some new work, we want the ladder of support, whatever it is, you know, these are fresh live relationships and people still trust us and it's much easier to pick up that working relationship where we left off and carry on uh, with, with that work. The fourth principle is about achieving early impact. We've talked about how we now engage uh, in this much deeper way with the people who might uh, use our work. But doing that over the long term can be problematic given how long it takes for many of our research projects to actually provide anything of any meaning or use. Uh, Often it's two, three years, sometimes it's five or more years before you actually have something that can be used by someone. And so if you want to work in a co-productive way with people, uh, then you need to think about what might be a quick win that can enable people to have a sense of, of momentum and that there's, there's something in this for them that's much more tangible and it's not just all about you and your research. Now, this might feel a bit problematic, but I think that there are quite a number of fairly simple things we can do that 
can really give immense value to people right up front. So that literature review that you are going to write in the first year of your PhD or that your postdoc is going to write in the first six months of their position, it might see the light of day eventually in your thesis, which is going to be pretty... uh, uh, inaccessible. Uh, it might see the, the light of day um, as a cut-down version in a paper five years later uh, behind a paywall. Uh, but right now, at this point in time, we forget that we are in a hugely privileged position sitting behind paywalls with the knowledge to be able to access and integrate and make sense of uh, these bodies of literature. And people in the business, NGO, policy, etc., these communities often don't have access to this data, this, this information. And even if they did, it's very hard for them to efficiently uh, synthesize this into something that they can then use. So just making that literature review available, uh, even in its just raw form, just as a 20-page literature review, can be like gold dust to some of these organizations then taking that extra step to turn that into a briefing note or something a bit more accessible. It might take an evening of your time, uh, but that can then add even more value, especially if it's linked to uh, something richer, uh, the original document that uh, sits beneath that. In some fields, uh, making your data available can be useful. Uh, Now, not all kinds of data can be made available for uh, lots of different reasons, but if it is possible to do this, then, hey, you might not have time to analyse that for a particular policy decision, but the policy analyst who uh, has to deliver uh, something that the minister can talk about next week in Parliament may well be able to take your data, analyse it in the way that they need to provide the minister with something that is in some way evidence-based that gives them value. So working with these teams that are embedded within your research can be a very powerful way of uh, drawing on that expertise and enabling them to work with you to draw value from your work as and when they need it. But of course, it doesn't always work. Um, Coordinating your milestones with the milestones of people in these other worlds outside academia can be a great way of identifying these quick wins. So if you have an idea of what policy uh, is coming through the pipeline, what consultation is coming up, um, uh, what the the product design cycle is like, uh, when the next iteration of that product is likely to come and what kind of trajectory that company is on, then you have a sense of when you might be able to produce findings that are going to be of most value and it may be that just shifting that field season that data collection phase forward by a few months means that you have the time to analyze that data and provide something of benefit within a window that can actually be used and that might be your chance for impact and simply not realizing that your data your analysis was going to come three months too late could be make or break between actually having an impact or not Finally, then, the fifth of these uh, principles is then, yes, we're getting these quick wins. We're also getting these uh, longer-term impacts. But now we need to start thinking about how it is that we actually reflect on and track and measure these impacts so that we can see if it's actually working uh, and so that we can sustain these impacts over the long term. So we need to have a think about uh, 
how can you track your impact? Uh, what are the kind of simple to measure, easy, quick, cheap things that you can collect that can quite quickly tell you whether a certain activity that you ran actually worked or not, and whether you are moving towards or away from the impacts that you hope to have from your research. Uh, the impact tracking tool that I use that uh, is available for free in the resources section of the Fast Track Impact uh, website actually integrates these indicators and uh, the means through which you would measure those in, uh, impact, uh, those indicators sorry, uh, as part of your impact plan. So I think right from the outset you're trying to work out what impact do I want to have, uh, who is this going to be with, what might be the key messages, uh, what are the activities that I can use with those key messages and audiences to start driving those impacts? And then what indicators might I use to tell me about whether the activities are working and whether or not I'm moving towards and achieving those impacts or not? Regularly reflecting on this with your team can be a really powerful way of everyone learning. So for me, this is something that I like to do with my research team, but it's also something that I like to do with stakeholders as well. So if you have a group of stakeholders that you're meeting up with regularly, you can get some quite frank feedback from people. Is it working? Are we moving in the right direction? What are people saying? What are people feeling about this? And they can help you to get back on track if it's not working. And in terms of sharing with your uh, colleagues uh, and sharing more widely uh, through blogs or, or whatever, it can really inspire people to say, well, hey, uh, here are some people who are doing some really cool stuff. Maybe I could do that as well. And as you increasingly share good practice, you'll start to you know, adopt new ideas, think out of the box a bit more and, and come up with some, some cool new things that you can do. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing from people uh, via the Fast Track Impact blog or just you know, tweet me, email me a lot to hear the kind of things that you're up to so that uh, we as a community here can begin to, to learn a bit more from each other about what works and why. So five principles that I believe get to the real heart of the impact agenda. If you want to sum these all up in a single word, for me that word is empathy, as I said right at the beginning. I believe that we as researchers, if we genuinely want to make an impact from our research, need to become more empathetic researchers that really start to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who need the knowledge that we are generating so that we can generate more relevant knowledge at the same time as doing our cutting-edge research. I believe that this kind of approach really, will, really can change the world. Uh, that's why I do what I'm doing, that's why I'm doing this podcast, that's why I set up Fast Track Impact. And you don't have to be doing applied research, you don't have to be doing research that is already very close to having an impact. It may be that this is five years off, ten years off, uh, twenty years off. But if we start to put ourselves in other people's shoes, we start to think about what might be those steps that might take us uh, towards impact in the long term, 
then it's surprising what starts to come to us, the, the kind of people we start to meet, the kind of ideas that start to emerge in the conversations that we have that then make it possible to start thinking, start thinking about the kind of projects and funding we might get to bring uh, that 10-year impact into a five-year impact and the sorts of uh, novel ways of thinking about our research that uh, say, well, great, yes, this might happen in five years, it might happen in 10 years, but hey, here's something cool I could do this year or next year that is just a completely different way of thinking about our impact that we would never have thought of ourselves. But by starting to think in this way and to engage with people and start on this journey towards impact, uh, impacts actually start to come closer to us. I hope this is a journey that you're going to join me on in this podcast uh, by following our blog, our Twitter stream, etc. I really hope that it's a journey that I can learn from you on uh, as well. And uh, let's see where this goes. Finally, before I go, I'd like to leave you with an action point. I think it's really important to take what we've learned and and think about how we can put it into practice. And so each week I'm going to try and leave you with at least one thing that you can do as a result of what, uh, what we've been talking about. So this week, what I'd like you to do is to think of an example or a story of something uh, that has led to an impact from research that has really inspired you. So this could be something that you did, it could be something that a colleague did or that you just read about that made a a really massive difference in in some kind of area uh, and that really inspired you. And I want you to think about what it was that worked, what it was that really inspired you about it. Why do you love this as, as an example? Now, I think if you can do this right now, if you can just try and think of one thing then I think that this will actually be really powerful for you individually just to really embed what you've learned about and just to start uh, to interrogate yourself. Uh, what was it that worked? And perhaps you can see some examples of the five principles that we've talked about at play here that might explain why it worked and why you think this is such an inspiring example. But the action that I'd like you to do now is to, uh, to somehow uh, share this. Now, this could be with... Uh, your research group with your supervisor. It could be online through a blog. You might tweet about it. You might put a link to the example on LinkedIn, uh, on a Facebook group such as the Fast Track Impact Group. Uh, Or maybe you want to even email me uh, and I can then share it with everyone else uh, next week uh, or at some other point uh, in the podcast. Please do get in touch if you'd love to do that. Uh, I'd certainly love to to hear your stories. The point is, uh, reflect for a moment on the kind of things that you've come into contact with closer to your own disciplinary home. And then let's share this and let's go out this week and inspire each other with the cool impacts that we as researchers can have on the world.